0: Would you pray with me as we begin here this morning? Heavenly Father, you created us for your glory, and we glorify you best through worship. We desire to serve you and to worship you with all our hearts. We desire to worship you in spirit and in truth. We ask that you would prepare our hearts for worship and our minds to understand what you're saying to your church as you reveal yourself in word and in spirit. We pray that you will be glorified in every part. Together, we proclaim that you are worthy. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, this is the second week of our exploration of the book of Revelation, uh, what we're calling Famous Last Words. Revelation is the last book of the Bible, and uh, the words are Jesus' words. Jesus gave this revelation through John the Elder, who was an apostle who was exiled on the island of Patmos off off the coast of um, Asia Minor in the Aegean Sea, and uh, he was put there because he was preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, and he would not stop. Uh, Last week, we set the stage for the study that we're doing. If you missed it, I would encourage you to check it out. It's available in several places online and otherwise. And uh, you might also want to check the um, series that we did last spring of the seven churches of Revelation that kind of led into this thing. Jesus told John how to, how to do this, to write down everything that he saw and then send it to seven of the major churches in Asia Minor. We're in chapter 4 of the book of Revelation, and it's uh, one of the most beautiful chapters in the Bible. It takes us inside the very throne room of God. Uh, you're going to want to have your Bible open with you this morning. If you didn't bring one along, there are Bibles in the pews ahead of you, and uh, we're looking at chapter four, and we're going to go through the whole chapter this morning. If you didn't bring your Bible, uh, I encourage you to do that from now on. Let's. Uh, you might want to make some notes in your Bible. Mark the Bible. Uh, just there are things you might want to remember from this series. As I said last week at the end of the, the service. Uh, Walking through material like this, there is an opportunity for God to speak to us in some very different ways. And maybe some of you are going to be sensing God's call to make some changes in your life. Some of you are going to be sensing God's call to maybe pursue him in a way that you've never done it before. Maybe you're going to hear his call to do some kind of ministry. Be open to that. Be listening for God's voice as he speaks. You know, not many people have gotten uh, to look into heaven. Not too many have had that opportunity. The prophet Ezekiel had that, uh, starting in chapter 1 of his book, and, and going for several chapters, you'll read about this vision that God gave him and gave him the opportunity to see what was going on behind the veil. The prophet Isaiah, if you go to chapter 6, it, it, it takes you to this place where Isaiah was lifted and brought into the throne room of God in heaven. The apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 12 writes, I know a man who, for 14, or who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Well, Paul is talking in third person, but he's really talking about himself. He's talking about an experience he had. And he says that he heard things that God would not allow him to reveal. Well, John's experience is different from that because John gets to see behind the veil and to to be in the presence of God, in the throne room of God, and he's not restricted from sharing what he sees. In fact, God encourages him to tell us. And so through John, we get to see the inside of heaven. Write what you have seen, what is now, and what has to take place later. In verse 3 of chapter 1 John says, blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy and blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what's written in it because the time is near. So throughout this series we're going to take the opportunity to read God's word aloud as often as we can and as much as we have the opportunity to do so. This morning we're going to read the whole chapter of chapter 4 of Revelation. It's not very long. It's only 11 verses long, and uh, again, I encourage you to follow along in your Bible. It picks up right after Jesus speaks to the seven churches, and here's what he says. John says, After this I looked, and there before me was a door standing open in heaven. And the voice I had first heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. And at once I was in the Spirit, and there before me was the throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. And the one who sat there had the appearance of jasper and ruby, a rainbow that shone like an emerald encircled the throne, and surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones, and seated on them were 24 elders, and they were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their head. From the throne came flashes of lightning. "'Rumblings and peals of thunder. "'In front of the throne seven lamps were blazing, "'and these are the seven spirits of God. "'Also in front of the stone "'there was what looked like a sea of glass, "'clear as crystal. "'In the center around the throne "'were four living creatures, "'and they were covered with eyes in front and back. "'And the first living creature was like a lion. "'And the second was like an ox. "'And the third had a face like a man.' The fourth was like a flying eagle. Each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around, even under its wings. And day and night they never stopped saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures gave glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fell down before him who sits on the throne and they worship him who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns before the throne and say, you are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things and by your will they were created and have their being. Now, you probably recognize some of those words, a lot of the, the lovely hymns that we like to sing, a lot of the praise choruses that we have liked to sing. Use combinations of those words, those praises to God. And, and you've probably sung some of them since you were a young child, if you grew up in church. You know, whatever else is happening here in the throne room of God, the one thing that never stops is worship. Worship is always going on in heaven, especially in the throne room. Have you ever been into a large cathedral? You know, a really, really big, beautiful cathedral with the, you know, the rose windows and all all the beautiful, ornate work that's in there. It's a work of art. You know, I picture heaven a little bit like that, only a thousand times bigger and a thousand times more beautiful. The word worship uh, comes from A word that means to declare worth, to ascribe worth, to give worth, to proclaim worthiness. And uh, when we're worshiping God, that's what we're doing. We're proclaiming his worth. We're saying God has this value in our lives. Worthiness is one of the themes of both this chapter and chapter 5, which we'll be looking at next week. The worthiness of the Father for worship is in this chapter, and the next chapter talks about the worthiness of the Lamb of God in chapter 5. In his vision, John is ushered into the throne room of God. And what's the first thing he sees? He sees God on his throne in heaven. He says, there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. and The one who sat there had the appearance of jasper and ruby, a rainbow that shone like an emerald encircled the throne. Picture what it might have been like for John to be put into this place. He's lifted into heaven. He has this vision. He has this experience. It's like being there in the room with God. And, and the first thing he sees directly in front of him is the royal throne of God. It's the place of God's majesty and power. Everything that exists started in this place. Everything. And imagine you see someone sitting on the throne who is completely beyond your comprehension. There is no way to make sense of what you're seeing. It's just too powerful. It's too beautiful. And, and, And you can't even begin to understand. And John has given the impossible task of describing what he's seeing. And so he's grasping with how to say this. And so So he talks about Jasper and Ruby. He says that's what it looked like to him. Jasper and Ruby. These are beautiful, valuable stones. You know, this is not a description of God per se. This is him trying to grasp what he's seeing and convey it. It's really beyond description. And he says that that a rainbow shone around the throne like, like, like an emerald. It encircled the throne. Again, here's, he's trying to describe the brilliance of God. This is God's presence. In Scripture, I'm sure you've read different times where angels appeared to human beings. You know, at Christmas time, we, we read the story of how the angels appeared to the shepherds to tell of the birth of Jesus. You know, And every time you see one of those appearances of angels, what happens? They fall down and they almost start to worship because they don't really comprehend what's going on. It's so brilliant. It's so hard to look at. Now think about, they're just angels. They're just created beings. They're not God. Think about what it would be like to look at God. That's something we just can't understand. But one day we know that if we follow Christ... If we receive him as Lord and Savior, if we pursue Christ, we will get to be in his presence face to face in a way that right now we can't comprehend. I think about Moses. You know, Moses saw the face of God. God just passed before him. He didn't really see his face. He saw certain things. And, 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 and Moses' face glowed so much that they had to put a veil over top of it because nobody could stand to look at his face because it was too bright seeing the face of god seeing god directly powerful powerful experience everything in the throne room you'll notice is there to point the way to god to point the way to the one who's seated on the throne. God is the center of everything that takes place there. Uh, Lampstands representing God's spirit. Glassy crystal sea it looked like around that. A circle of elders and thrones and flying eagle angels and flashes of lightning and peals of thunder and everything coming from and focused on the throne of God and the one who's sitting on it. And everyone in the room is worshiping. Everyone in the room. Closest to the throne are four angels. They're described in an almost identical way that Ezekiel describes them in chapter 1 of his book. Um, and he later identifies them as cherubim. So we know that these are cherubim around the throne of God. Now, now these are no cherubs like we picture in our head. You know, we picture cherubs kind of like, you know, these cute little baby-like creatures with little wings. You know, we kind of set them up to look like Cupid. That's how we think of cherubs. These are no cherubs like we know. It says that in the center around the throne were four living creatures and they were covered with eyes in front and in back. The first living creature was like a lion. The second was like an ox. The third had a face like a man. The fourth was like a flying eagle. And each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around, even under its wings. Cherubim are actually fiercer creatures. They're there directly to minister to God and to sing his praise. And it was cherubim that were put at the the gate of Eden to hide it, to keep it from being found ever again after Adam and Eve were cast out. Isaiah talks about very similar creatures that he calls seraphs or seraphim. That literally means the burning ones. That's another angel who attends God in his throne room. And and maybe the cherubim and the seraphim are the same uh, creatures that we're trying to figure out here. Because when we go back and we look at what Ezekiel says, he talks about these creatures as burning and lightning flashing between them back and forth. They burn with fire and lightning. And these angels... As powerful as they were, they were worshiping. And they never stopped proclaiming the holiness of God. Over and over, day and night, they say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. In the book of Isaiah, uh, those Angels around the throne of God in that vision say also the whole earth is full of his glory. You know, God's glory reaches every place, every person, every plant, every animal. It's a reflection of God's creation and God's creation is a reflection of himself. It's one of the things that, uh, as you come into the book of Romans near the beginning, it, and it talks about how we were responsible for, for getting to know God in as much as he has revealed himself in his creation. It's one of the reasons we're held accountable, is because God has revealed himself in that way. Uh, theologians call that God's general revelation, as opposed to his special revelation, which we know through the word of God and through Jesus himself. You know, when the angels sing in Isaiah chapter six, when they are singing this holy, 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 it says that the the, the doorposts and the thresholds shook, and that the whole temple was filled with smoke, the rising up of incense. And we're told that the incense seen in the throne room of heaven is the prayers of God's people rising up to him as an offering. The cherubim in the throne room of God saying, this is the one. This is the one who was. This is the one who is. This is the one who is to come. This is an eternal God. He always has been and he always will be. These angels aren't the only ones who are worshiping. Around the throne... And it's hard to picture this, but around the throne, there are 24 other thrones. And on those thrones are 24 elders, and and on their heads are 24 crowns. Well, there are a lot of theories about who these people are. I mean, they're 24. That's kind of an odd number. Um, I was reading a number of different theologians to see you know, who they thought these people were. Uh, N.T. Wright had a great theory. He says, okay, how many people are there? There's 24. How many disciples were there with Jesus most of the time? Just shout it out. How many? 12. And how many tribes of Israel? Who can do complex math here? <laughs> What's 12 plus 12? 12. So that's his theory: 24 elders, 12 disciples, 12 tribes of Israel. Regardless of who they are, they're worshiping. They're worshiping God, and so every time those four creatures uh, they start to sing their holy, holy, holy to God, and they acknowledge God's holiness. Every time they do that, the They give glory and honor and thanks. Every time that happens, these elders fall down in worship. They take off their crowns and they lay them at the feet of God as a sign of submission. The Greek language says these are victory crowns. So they are crowns won in some way in victory, whether that's fighting the good fight in life or some other thing that allowed them to receive crowns. You know, in Scripture, you look in several places, it says that as we live out our Christian life for Jesus, as we do good deeds, as we do other things that are related to that following of Jesus, it says we gain crowns in heaven. Is that so we can strut about? Look at my crown. I got a golden crown. I got a pointy one, you know. It's not so we can look good in our crowns. It's so that we can take those crowns and lay them at the feet of God and worship and acknowledge submission. There's a story I read about a king who, true story, ancient king who conquered another kingdom. When they brought that, that king in in chains and they brought him before the victorious king, that man fell down on his knees and he took off his crown and he laid it at his, at his feet and, and he prostrated himself in complete submission. And that victorious king reached down and took him by the hand and pulled him to his feet and took his crown and put it back on his head. See, I think that's a great picture of the kind of God we serve Somehow these guys' crowns ended up back on their heads and every time that that cycle of worship happened, they took them off and offered them in submission. And as they laid those crowns down, they sang a hymn too. You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things. And by your will they were created and have their being. So they're acknowledging God as creator, that we have our being, that we exist because God created us. And you know, when we worship God, what do we do? We let go of our power as we acknowledge God's power. Our power is not what's important in God's presence. It's God's power. There are certain words that are worshipped or used here in worship. Let me just throw them up here. Um, worthy is one of the first ones that we encounter. And glory and honor and thanks. This is the kind of worship that's going on in heaven. These are the words of worship. So let me ask you something. How do you approach worship? worship of God I mean say say you want to get the this intimate experience and it's not about getting the experience but it's it's about really getting close to God and say you want to get really close to God how do you do that do you have awe for God think about this awesome presence of God you know, when we worship God, we have all these different parts, right? You know, we have, you know, think about some of the things we've done this morning. we prayed together, we've sung together, um, you know, we, we've done certain things in our worship. I, I noticed as I was looking through this and reading through it, for, read it many times, getting ready for this series, but, but I, I noticed as I was reading through it that there was something missing. Nobody asks for anything. There are no requests of God in this scenario. It is all one directional. Every single thing is focused on God himself. It's all about God and nothing about self. Well, think about it. How often do we enter into worship of God when we just make it about God? I I suspect not very often. We fuss about the details of worship, the, the, the style we worship in, the songs we like, you know, and, and the distraction of the child over there and, the, you know, all the different things that go on. There's no child over there. I'm just... No. Illustration. <laughs> Sorry if you're on that side of the room. <laughs> Seldom do we make it just about God. We have all this other stuff that sometimes gets in the way. We're having the Lord's Supper. We're sharing in the Lord's Supper this morning. And and it is all about Jesus. It's all about his sacrifice. It's all about the cross. Now, we reap the benefits of those things. We understand that, that it affects us deeply. But it's about him. Before we go into the Lord's Supper this morning, let me challenge you with something. Let me challenge you to enter into the throne room of God in your prayer, figuratively. You remember that God is with you always, right? That he's not just here in this room, that he's every place that you go, God is omnipresent. And he's not restricted to the throne room where he manifests himself. So at any time, in worshipful prayer, we can figuratively step into that throne room of God. One day literally, but right now figuratively. And so I want to challenge you to try something. Try entering into God's presence. Try praying to God in such a way that it's only about God and it's nothing about you. That it's only about God and nothing about you. Worship, asking for nothing and giving everything. It is fine for God to ask for, for us, to ask for things. You know, we can ask for things. Can you advance the slide if it'll do that? In fact, I need to advance two slides if you'll do that. My control is just quit. God loves us. And he loves to answer our prayers. But I encourage you to take a time that is not asking for anything at all. To just worship God. And here's some things, you know, as as you go into the presence of God, here's some ways in which we can acknowledge him. Acknowledge that God is eternal. That's part of this passage. Acknowledge that God is creator. That's what the elders are praising God for. Acknowledge that he is worthy. All the worshipers are acknowledging that. Acknowledge that the glory belongs to him. Admit that he has all of the power. Honor his name. Give thanks for who he is and what he's done. And ask only one thing. Ask for his presence. Worship without asking for anything but God's presence because pure worship, as we see in this picture of heaven, is all about God, every single part. Lord God, we open our hearts and our minds to receive you again this morning. Forgive our sin. All we ask is your perfect presence. In this, your table, this morning, we honor you, and we ask that you be honored. We remember you, and we worship you, and we do so about Jesus, also in Jesus' name. Amen.